I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Ganesh Krishna. Ganesh is the CEO and founder of Enzena, which is trying to grow adoption of a new type of cybersecurity workforce development and emphasizes contextual learning for everyone in the organization. Before Enzena, Ganesh founded Avid Secure, one of the original CSPM platforms, which he sold to Sophos back in 2019. He worked as a VP at Sophos for the last few years before deciding to start another venture of his own and launch Enzena. In the episode, we discuss the sale of Avid Secure at the very beginning of the CSPM boom, what contextual learning entails in the workforce development space, and how the Enzena team is going about this challenge looking ahead. Ganesh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. Let's take a look at your background here because the kind of most recent entrepreneurial endeavor of yours was Avid Secure, which you worked on for, I think it was a few years, and you ended up selling it in 2019. So take me through the story of how that all came together and and what encouraged this kind of first foray, at least based on your published background that I found into entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very interesting. It's uh, sort of accidental as well. So uh, you know, I started my career um, uh, in in the mid to late '90s in the cybersecurity space, um, um, and so um, started at Intel Labs building uh, device drivers for uh, IPsec VPNs uh, for Windows 95 and Windows 98, which I which I would not wish upon anyone at this point. <laughs> Um, um, and then um, I was in Hillsborough at the time, um, so um, um, was tired of the rain uh, in Oregon, frankly, and decided to move a little bit south where it might be a little bit more sunny. Uh, so moved to uh, Northern California um, um, and started working for this company called Securify, uh, which was started by uh, Tahir Elgamal, um, uh, who, who's the guy behind the Elgamal signature standard, which became the digital signature algorithm. Uh, and so uh, uh, a well-known person in the industry um, and got to work with a bunch of um, uh, really great security experts at that company. This was like 1999 where most people didn't know what security was, um, but you know there were really good people back then as well. So so was fortunate. We were primarily a consulting company um, uh, doing um, security work for a bunch of other, uh, other firms um, and Yahoo happened to be one of them. Um, and so we had done a bunch, uh, some work for Yahoo, um, and then I ended up joining Yahoo uh, a few years after uh, Securify uh, as one of their early security engineers. Um, and again, it was like, a, oh yeah, you're an engineer, you can do the security stuff too, right? And then we had one other person who had started the team. Um, uh, very early 2001, right after the dot-com bust, uh, no one remembers the tech downturn. Um, uh, where uh, you know people didn't have enough money to pay their taxes on the on the stocks that they had uh, invested, so it was a tough time for tech. Um, and then um, uh, you know uh, spent the time uh, spent nine years in change at Yahoo, uh, building out the security function. Um, uh, you know when I left, we were 60, 70 people from like just a handful of people uh, when I started. Um, and then um, uh, moved to LinkedIn. Um, um, when they were fairly small, I think three, four hundred people, um, and built out their uh, security function, uh, their uh, uh, their abuse, fraud detection, uh, identity functions as well. Um, uh, so spent like five years there, um, uh, building out the team, uh, going IPO and so on and so forth. 
and then moved to Atlassian to run their identity and security team um, uh, for some time. Um, and that's when I realized, um, you know, hey, I've been doing this security practitioner stuff for a while. And if I, you know, keep doing the same thing, I might go native. Um, so, so then I said, hey, you know, but I still love the, love the security space. Uh, so maybe I should try, uh, you know, using uh, some of the expertise that I had uh, was fortunate enough to gain uh, by being in the field to kind of build a product that other people could use. Um, and that's when I um, uh, teamed up with my co-founder to start um, uh, Avid Secure in 2017, uh, which was in the cloud security space. So CSPM++ for uh, AWS Azure and Google Cloud. Uh, again, cloud was getting massive, gaining massive adoption at the time. Um, um, and, you know, there were, sorry. Uh, and there were a few um, um, uh, companies in that space, um, Redlock, which you might have heard of, or Evident.io. And so when those companies um, sort of uh, got acquired, then we started getting inbound, uh, you know, sort of requests for acquisition and things like this. We were, you know, the first few years of the company, we were really like just a bootstrapped, angel-funded. So as we were about to go um, sort of raise around, you know, we made the decision to kind of join hands with Sophos because we would raise money to kind of go take the product to market uh, that we had. Um, um, and, you know, um, um, in hindsight, you might think uh, that was a really bad decision because now you have companies like Orca and Wiz, Wiz, Wiz with a $10 billion valuation and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, hindsight, you know, in my uh, opinion, is always twenty twenty. Uh, I think we had a great time building out the product, which, which I'm really passionate about. Um, and then, you know, I was skeptical of joining a you know, 35-year-old cybersecurity company, uh, as in Sophos. Uh, having worked in Silicon Valley all my life, I was like, okay, where am I, uh, where am I heading here? And what's this going to look like? And I was really surprised. I, was actually, I actually had a fun few years working at Sophos. Um, um, I think even though it's a, it's, it's a company that's fairly old, there are a lot of great people. Uh, you know, they're a cloud-first company, like pretty much all of their uh, production infrastructure runs on uh, in the cloud environment. Uh, so it was refreshing to see that um, and kind of build out um, uh, our product and get that integrated into Sophos. Um, so, so that's my story on Avid Secure and the initial stint. So you stole one of my questions right out of my mouth there in terms of that, that acquisition process and the, the 2020 vision looking back at at 2019 from today with the the folks like Wiz. But I'm curious thinking about how the CSPM landscape as a whole has evolved. Obviously, a ton of changes have come into play. Uh, for example, these cloud providers themselves have invested much more heavily into the native security tools available within the platforms uh, that did not exist to the same extent in 2017 or anywhere close to it, right? So that's one example, but I'm curious to hear from you. What has really the biggest change been in that ecosystem from when you started back in 2017 and you were hacking away at Avid Secure at home as opposed to, again, this market today that's billions and billions of dollars? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, what's changed is sort of, you know, people trying to cover more surface area, right? So, so. And this is not just true of CSPM, it's actually true of the entire cybersecurity space. You almost have to be like what they call a compound startup, um, where you're not just saying, you know, the, the standard uh, uh, formula for a startup is to solve a narrow problem and go deep. With security, that's getting increasingly hard. 
uh, because you solve a narrow problem and people now have ended up with the hundreds of tools that now CISOs want to consolidate and say, well, why am I running like a hundred security tools, right? Uh, and so, so what has changed since then is companies like Wiz and others have come in and said, hey, Al, you, we are the only cloud security tool you need to buy. And we'll cover, um, you, know, uh, you know, all the way from sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, workload level security to containers to CSPM to everything, right? Um, and so that's been the change. It's basically kind of broadening the coverage of that space. Right. And and now they're going and hitting even container security. There's so many container security companies that used to be there even now. And that's getting hard because people are saying, I, you know, I want you to cover the, the breadth. Um, and that's what's happening to a lot of startups. So this is, again, how the, the landscape as a whole has changed, not just across CSPM, but also just the broader security industry, yeah. like you pointed out, and and completely agree in terms of just the, the general expansion of these companies and uh, in some ways, that's great for startups because it leaves more uh, potential acquirers. Uh-huh. But at the other, on the other hand, it kind of dilutes the value of some of these companies as they they spread so broadly, right? But that's right. Talk me through now as we pivot to Anzena, because again, the foresight back in 2017 to develop a CSPM tool long before this wave had completely caught a hold of the security startup ecosystem cannot be understated. And so mm-hmm. I think that that certainly lends an additional level of credibility to you as, as you talk about the problems with workforce development in cybersecurity today and how these individuals are being empowered within the organization to help the security team. So it's not just that group of 50 people, um, and instead it's the organization as a whole. So again, talk me through what this problem spaces that you saw and why you decided to tackle it with Anzena. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, so when, and, and you know, this has this had been sort of, you know, um, uh, obviously I've been in this space for a while, um, uh, ran security teams and programs and, you know, security champions and so on and so forth. And so the experience had always been that, hey, you know, if we wanted to solve a hard problem and we reached out to the rest of the company and involved the right folks to help us, Pretty much always came out with a um, uh, with a better solution than if we did it ourselves as a small security team. That's generally true, not just in security, but in in general how people need to work together, right? Um, and then you know, as we were building uh, sort of Avid Secure and sort of deploying it to customers, uh, you know, CISOs would come and ask us, saying, "Hey, you know, these alerts. There are two types of alerts, right? In security, one is the the false positive problem, which we all know exists." The second is the real alerts. The problem with the real alerts is how do I get them resolved? Um, if I have hundreds of tools, I, I still have a lot of real alerts and real issues to follow up on. So people would come and tell us, hey, these alerts make sense. Why don't you send it to the people um, uh, who are responsible for fixing this anyway? Because that's what I would turn around and do. Uh, right? So so, so it started this notion of, hey, how do we take, um, you know, if you look at the cybersecurity uh, sort of landscape today, Security teams are in the middle of every risk analysis and decision, right? You go from vulnerability to fixing it. The security team is in the middle of everything, right? Uh, and they are a bottleneck because, you know, for, uh, for, uh, uh, for every security person in, at a company, you're lucky to have a ratio of 1 to 100, right? A security person to employees. It's usually 1 to 500 or even 1 to 1,000. Like, but regardless, um, 
regardless, that's that's where things are. So what's happening, so if you think about what needs to happen to tackle that problem is, one, whenever you have a bottleneck, you can add capacity to the bottleneck. So you can say, oh, you have 20 people, I'll go get an MSSP and they'll double it to 40 and they'll handle some stuff. That's already happening. You see a lot of MSSPs. The second is, uh, when you have a bottleneck, you can automate the bottleneck. You can automate the tasks of the bottleneck. And that's the security automation, the source space, which makes which helps security teams do more by automating their tasks. But what we are not doing in the industry today is figuring out how to eliminate the bottleneck. Because at the end of the day, security teams are risk facilitators. They take the risk, they, they do the, some analysis, and then they'll go to the team that needs to fix them. So how about if we identify the issue, and for a class of issues, we don't even need to, uh, the security team doesn't even need to be involved and just go directly to the people responsible for fixing. That's one thing, right? Um, and, um, and you know, as we sort of kind of work through that and kind of talk to people as we were starting Enzena, right? One of the CISOs that we talked to said something very profound, which is, they said, hey, if you build a cybersecurity product, don't build it for the cybersecurity team. Build it for the business. Because guess what? I can't hire a single person and I can't onboard yet another tool that I need to manage thousands of others, right? And so when you combine the bottleneck problem with the workforce problem, you, you basically what you have to do is you have to use the workforce to scale cybersecurity. And if you do that correctly, you can actually get the workforce more engaged and get them better. That's really the way we look at the security training problem, which basically uh, has been problematic. Nobody's happy. It, nobody I talk to is happy with their security training program because it's like getting employees to exercise once a year when they're facing daily security threats, right? That just never works. You can't be fit if you exercise once a year. That's just unreasonable, right? Um, and so you've got this classic situation where in IT, where IT itself is decentralizing and employees are adopting more and more and more tools. And that's increasing the surface area. So it's making the bottleneck problem worse that I mentioned. So the security teams cannot cover the surface area anyway. So you literally have to take the risk and go directly to the employee, get them to understand and fix it, self-remedy the, it themselves. And that's when you can more effectively train them and solve the human problem in cybersecurity. Right. And I think this problem isn't necessarily new for a lot of folks, right? Again, I, I find myself referencing this a lot, but the whole concept of DevSecOps, which has uh, just been developed and, and refined and, and gained popularity just over the last five to 10 years now, right, mm -hmm. uh, has these security champions programs of embedding security across the organization. You have all these different security tools that have come out. Uh, you mentioned the the hundreds and thousands of tools that well. these folks have to to deal with and, and and work with just as security practitioners today, right? Uh, but even those tools are starting to build more functionality that caters to those various business units. So empowering developers to actually go ahead and, and make those changes for themselves. We have more advanced phishing training that is catered to individuals or organizations and allows each individual employee to improve their just understanding of security as a whole and, and be better stewards to the organization. So as you think about a, a problem space that's fairly well known, what is it that 
you're trying to do differently than these existing solutions that exist in the space? Yeah, I mean, the existing solution, so if you look at, so so to a large extent, if you, when you talk about the people problem or like it's about people process and technology, right? Um, and so if you talk about the people problem in cybersecurity, what most solutions and what most people are think about right off the gate is content, right? Oh, you know, I, how do I get more engaging content for uh, employees? How do I, you know, why aren't they looking at my, you know, 10 minute animations or whatnot, right? We, are, we want to flip that and say, what if you deliver the right content in, with the right context? Like what's missing is get that context of what people are doing and then deliver the, the right content of the right length and people are more likely to engage and retain the information. So it's almost so, like, you know, sorry, go ahead. Talk me through a specific example of that. Yeah, yeah. So... So let's say, um, you know, we can keep training our employees once a year or once a, once a quarter on, you know, how to share data safely, as an example, right? We can have videos and we can have Hollywood style, whatever, engaging stuff, right? But at the end of the day, it may not stick, right? You, you, you may forget, people are like, oh yeah, I'll go check that box, I'm compliant, I move on, right? But what if you surface the right content, right short form content, in the employee workflow when they actually share a file incorrectly, right? Uh, that had sensitive data. So think of a very simple use case. Like what do people do with DLP alerts today? Two things. One is either they drop it on the floor because there's so many of them uh, that the security team reasonably cannot follow up. These are high touch, high volume alerts, right? Or security team will start putting blocks in place saying, if I find a share like this, I will silently block and maybe send a nasty gram to the employee. And guess what? You know, that might work, but, you know, what the employees will do is they want to get their job done. So they're going to find ways around those blocks, right? So so neither of those situations are a happy place, right? But that's also an opportunity. So when an employee does something wrong that they're not supposed to, why not take the, pick those up and say, hey, this is the, this is a better way to do it here is a simple way to do your job and cater the training to how to do your job. Not just, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, and you can do that. And then the answer, then the employee is going, well, how do I do my job, right? So, so I think that's the change that needs to happen in content. Make it short form, make it relevant to how people can do their job, and then attach it to the right context. And then you will get better engaged and deliver it at a place where people actually are right? In their workflow. Thinking through that example you provided, let's say I'm trying to share a file with a client and mm -hmm. it's sensitive and I should be using a secure method of uh, transferring that document to them, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that's not something that I was doing. And so I get busted for this. The, the platform catches me. And, yeah. and my understanding, right, that the idea is you'd be kind of providing information to me in line there and and giving me training uh, resources to go ahead and, and reference and ensure that I'm following that process correctly. I guess if I'm understanding yeah. that right, my concern is if I'm a user that's trying to send this document out to a client, that's probably something that's high importance. I don't want to interrupt my workflow to go and do some training sequence. So how do you address that element of these folks still just really trying to get their standard job done. 
Yeah, so you don't you don't necessarily have to prevent them from doing it, but what you can do is you can make them aware so that they don't they can reverse that decision if it was incorrect, and they don't repeat their mistake, right? So you don't necessarily have to prevent them, but if you reach out to them right after they do it and say, here is the right way to do it in the future, and that's actually easier, then people will do it, right? So, um, uh, so, so that's that's the premise. Right, so you have to get them to engage, right? Um, because, because the problem right now is you can deliver training. Uh, people may watch it, may not watch it, check the box. But if it's in their context and they have control, so you give them an easy way to unshare that document, and you give them the right uh, training right there, so that they can retain. It's almost like you know you have this um, Chinese proverb that goes like this, which is, "Tell me, I'll forget. Show me, I'll remember." involve me and I'll understand. And this is a way where we are involving employees exactly based on what they're doing and saying this is what you could be doing better, right? Um, and, and we think that that will actually get more people to do the right thing because ultimately employees want to do the right thing. They just don't have the right tools, right? Like, you know, if, like most of the security training is don't share documents. But if I want to share documents, can I simply like use the password protection feature in Microsoft Word to password protect the document and text someone the password, we think that's better than what's happening today where the employee might download it to their personal email and email it anyway, right? So you have to actually come up with practical solutions that puts the user experience first. And so this is the problem. Me, talk me through the user research that you went through as you ideated this solution, right? Because I'm sure before deciding to, to leave Sophos and, and kind of fully dive into this, there was a more calculated decision in terms of uh, understanding, is this specific solution something that that the world wants or that some of these practitioners can see the value in? So given this is something that presumably requires a, a technical challenge to develop, how did you actually measure the kind of time saved or amount of training that users would actually go through in this contextual model as opposed to the existing just hey there's a knowledge base that you can go ahead and reference yeah well i mean you know there's two things to it right before you even get to the engagement user research problem the fundamental problem with that 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 exists today is training is simply cya it's literally for compliance reasons like i acknowledge that i have seen this training and maybe i've answered a few questions that's basically the everybody gets that Right, and but if you look at the breach data, more like eighty percent plus of uh, breaches involve a human element. So people are like, okay, what do I need to do to make this better? Right? We think it's contextual engagement, right? And people get that. People get people see that it's not just about delivering content, but it's delivering content at the right time with the right context, right? And so that's and, and that makes it much more relevant. It includes the employee in the process, and, and you know, the flow matters, right? So it's not just slapping people on the wrist. It's we are delivering uh, content uh, with context and getting employees to potentially reverse what they might have done incorrectly. And we are actually, uh, and we are in incentivizing them to participate in the system. So there has to be like, there's this, you know, we, we are talking about a behavior change, right? And when you talk about the psychology of behavior change, what you want is prompting the employee at the right time, making it easy for them to do what you're asking them to do, and then incentivizing them on top of that, if you can, right? 
And so now you can use these three models to say, okay, get some employees to participate, build a leaderboard, recognize those employees, make it a positive experience, right? And that is where, and, and that is human psychology, right? So, and that is where, that is that is our thesis of um, uh, uh, around Anzena, around why this, this would be fundamentally different from what exists out there, right? We can develop all the content we want, but if it's not delivered with the right context, with the right tone, with the right empathy of what the user is trying to do and get them to actually move forward and do their job, then it's no one's going to uh, do it, right? And, you know, there, there are many examples like this that exist in uh, in other spaces, like password phishing. We have, For the longest time, we have been telling people not to click on links. But guess what? Nobody listens because the internet is full of links, and uh, including myself, right? So... Instead, what if we told people to use password managers instead and then say, okay, you know what, if your password manager doesn't fill your password when you click on the link, report it and measure them on usage of password managers and how many people report on phishing. Those are much more, much better metric metrics than not clicking on links, right? It's the same kind of thing, right? Now, how about the technology aspect of it? Because we've talked through the problem space the kind of conceptual solution. And based on everything you've just described, it sounds like a platform that's sort of hooked into a DLP solution. So whenever a DLP alert is fired off, it references the user that's actually being, um, that's actually the recipient of that alert, and then sending this kind of training content bundle along with that, right? With the ability is to reverse the action. Okay, with the ability to reverse the action. So what were the kind of technical challenges then in building this? Is it building out the kind of massive content library that's required to be able to teach these individuals in all these various scenarios? Is it integrating with the DLP systems to uh, be kind of linked up to all these different alerts and, and mapping those back to your content library? What was the, the challenge, the, the biggest challenge going through this? Yeah, so the biggest challenge is actually building a, a a workflow system that's simple to configure and use. Because what training is, again, like going back to it, training is not just about content, it's, it's about content and context. But the way you deliver it also has to be based on a workflow, right? And so having a workflow that says you can connect to System X, extract the right data, of course, that, that part itself is challenging. And then... Under certain constraints, certain conditions, you send it to you know whoever is the recipient in this group, send it to them with this type of content, that whole hooking that whole thing up together and building a simple workflow is fairly challenging. Um, and so we look at training and and you know whatever you want to call it engagement as a workflow, not just as a content or you know one integration. It has to work across many, many different integrations. So DLP is just one example. And you can think of many, many examples like this. Like people struggle uh, with systems like Jira, where you know there's an existing corpus of valid security issues sitting in Jira, and they don't get fixed for whatever reason, right? And so there could be a workflow created around that um, in the in um, 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 that reaches out to developers or product people in their, uh, where they are. And if you look at where employees are spending time today, it's either Slack or Microsoft Teams. They're sending less and less time in uh, in email, 
So having a workflow that works across, or starting from the source system to the administrative configuration for the security team for the workflow, because the, the role of the security team in our product is to configure workflows, not uh, respond to individual issues. Um, and then tying that workflow, triggering that workflow at the right time, pushing it out to where employees are and getting them to engage, rewarding them, incentivizing them, that whole chain, getting that right is extremely challenging. How much do these workflows vary from organization to organization based on the sample that you've looked at so far? Because I imagine the kind of different tools that are being used, the different kind of specific standards and procedures in each organization might have some slight differences there as well. How do you address that customization requirement? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, I think that's a good question. But what we are finding is that people are happy starting with simple workflows, right? Um, and, and, you know, generally, you know, whenever we talk about workflows, we say, oh, you know, it has to connect like 50 different systems and, you know, kind of munch that data together. Well, the customers don't start that. Customers want some simple set of use cases to be solved um, and, um, and then measure the impact of that before going to the next one. So even though our workflow system is customizable, we don't see a whole lot of customers immediately jumping to start programming against our workflow system to customize. Uh, I think a lot of people want out-of-the-box solutions that provide certain common use cases that people face, start there, and then enhance it as they see value. So that's, I think that's where this is fairly early for this type of a product in the industry. And so that's where we start. Hmm. So thinking about timeline, then you've been working on Enzana for roughly the last eight months or so, and you're still in stealth. What are the kind of key milestones coming up for you and the team? What are you prioritizing today as you think about launch and getting this out to the world? Yeah, so um, you know our goal uh, has been to you know work with um, you know our design partners and, and 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 companies that we have sort of been talking to and are interested in a solution like this. Make sure we have the right set of use cases, you know, done the right way, and that that it's adding value for them, and then kind of um, uh, take it more broadly to the market. Right. So that's where we are at this point. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Ganesh, really appreciate the time. It was great hearing about just, again, how you think about this problem space as a whole and how Anzena kind of fits in and augments capabilities that already exist out there today. I'll certainly be curious to, to follow along as the, the beta or initial versions uh, get a little bit more information published online. So great. thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you for the opportunity and all the great questions. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty, and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.